You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. I have picked a subject this morning that you can't be, you can't be asleep for, okay? You have to be wide awake for this one, because <clears throat> on a cold day out there, minus whatever it is, it doesn't matter. When it gets to minus 5, it could be minus 20, and it still feels just as bad. But um, I picked the subject of fear this morning. How's that for a good start for a Sunday morning? We're going to talk about, I've titled the message, The Gift of Fear. And you think, well, that, that's a little bizarre, that's a little strange. But I was thinking about what Joe preached last Sunday. He picked probably one of the most difficult passages in Scripture to preach through, right? I, I think he did an absolutely wonderful job. And so, as Seth was praying this morning, that, that I could fill Joe's shoes. I don't know if I could ever do that, because uh, he probably wears a size 12, but uh, he... <laughs> He is an excellent preacher. I really enjoy listening to his messages. And how he tackled that passage just kind of gave me a little bit of impetus of how to tackle this idea of fear, because that has been something that's been on my mind for some time. Uh, everybody, if I asked it, I can ask you kind of a dumb question, okay? I will. I like asking questions, but this one's kind of dumb. How many of you have ever experienced fear in your life? Raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you're not telling me the truth. Um, but there's a, there's a Greek word that you get to learn this morning out of the New Testament. The New Testament, as you know, was written in Greek. And the Greek word for fear, at least one of them, the main one that's used in the New Testament, is phobos. Okay? Say that to yourself. Phobos. Now, can you imagine what the English uh, comparable word to that would be? Phobia. Phobias are like a psychological term for those things that, for, for things that are common fears to the human condition. We have certain things built within us, don't we, as human beings. Fear is one of those that must, must have some sort of a purpose. And so what I'm trying to convey in the, in the next you know, 30 or 40 minutes is, is just this, that fear itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Okay, so kind of put that in your head as we swirl around with that this morning. But there are all kinds of of terms that people use for phobias, all kinds of fears that you might have. You could name, you could probably write some down. In fact, you should write some down so we can talk about them in GC tonight. But uh, <clears throat> examples of fear, fear of flying, fear of crowds, fear of speaking in front of other people, fear of change, fear of humiliation, fear of rejection. And then there's even a word, we have a couple words in the English language. One of them is Panophobia, that means you're afraid of everything, okay? That's a bad place to be. But there's also one that is called phobophobia, which means the fear of fear, being afraid of being afraid. Now, I, I think that's really an interesting one because Paul talks about in the book of Romans, he talks about vain imaginations. He talks about um, our futility and how we think. You know, futile thinking is thinking about something that really is empty. It has, no, it has no meat behind it. It has no purpose. And Eileen and I were talking about this the other day about, and I'm, I'm using her as an example because she's a woman. And so she, she spoke as a woman, and she says that women have an issue <coughs> with this sort of thing, with vain imaginations. In other words, I traveled a lot, for example, in my business, and 
and I flew a lot, so she would always imagine in her mind what it would be like if my plane went down. Of course, I thought that too when I was up 30,000 feet. But she would, she would imagine that, and then it would be like, what good does it do for me to think about that? Because it's not something that has any concrete basis to it. It's not something that, that she can attach some meat to. It's just something that can cause in her some kind of fear that I won't come back. Or there's, there's all kinds of a fear that in the middle of the night a fire would start, right? And how would I get the kids all out? How would this all work? Or a tornado would come and destroy the house and everything else. And so it's something that is not necessarily you know, fixed in concrete truth, but it is a fear that comes from vain, empty imaginations that we have the ability to do. And that, those get us into a lot of trouble sometimes. <clears throat> I, mine, of course, is snakes. Okay, I hate snakes. And if they are in front of my lawnmower when I'm mowing my yard, I do not stop. I mow right over them. Okay, <laughs> I don't have, <laughs> I have no, no qualms about murdering a snake. Okay, but when I was in Africa, I I used to look around every corner. We were in Kenya, and they have mambas there, black mambas, and they have cobras there. And they don't have just nice little Nebraska garter snakes. They have mean snakes. So I was always looking under every bush. or I wouldn't look under the bush, but I would look around every corner and make sure I was not running into a snake. It's just that fear that rose up in me. But when that fear would rise up in me for a stupid little snake in the ground, I would immediately react out of that fear and do something. I, I took action and got rid of it, right? So that's, that's built into us as humans. <clears throat> that's built into us the way God made us, some things that, that pop out when sometimes we don't want them to. If you look in Strong's Concordance, and Strong's Concordance is one of, the, one of the bigger concordances, and you look up the word fear, there's pages of verses that have the word fear in them. So it's, what is it exactly? You know, what is fear? There's, I'm going to just concentrate on two, I think, hopefully two positive things this morning for you. The, one, the first one is a pretty easy one. It's called natural fear. How would you define natural fear? It's a natural, it's a very human coping mechanism and motivation to either do something or to not do something. I had a friend, I still have a friend, he's still living. We we met 45 years ago, and we worked in a church together. And his name's Alex, and he, in fact, he was part of Mars Hill in that deal. He's still pastoring out in Seattle, but... um, he was, he was in Bible school, and he was doing an internship uh, for a summer to work in a church and do whatever the pastor wanted him to do. And he was the easiest guy to scare. I mean, this guy could I, could, I could see him come around the corner if I hid behind a wall and jumped out. He would literally scream first and hit the ground. He just had no, no control over that. There was one time... When we went over to his house, I like to tell stories, sorry, but how many of you have ever seen the movie Jaws? I'm going back into the, you know, when was it made in the 70s sometime? Really, when you look at it now after all this time with all the animation that's out now, you go, that was a pretty dumb movie. But <clears throat> this, this shark, of course, was huge, and he was telling me about this movie, and he said, I rented it, because he went to see it in a the theater, and there's a particular scene in that movie <coughs> that is really scary. And he said when, when that scene happened, he was sitting in the, in the theater with like 100 people. Everybody, of course, 
would kind of do the normal scream during that, but he literally would scream. He stood up and threw his M&Ms all over the theater. I mean, he was absolutely terrified. So he's telling me all this. And he says, I, rent, I rented this movie, and I want you and Eileen to come over, and we're going to watch this movie tonight. <clears throat> so I said, sure. But he said, i got to warn you, there's one scene in there. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, but there's a scene about halfway through the, the movie that will literally you know, scare the pants off you. And I said, okay, I, I don't mind being scared. So <laughs> we're watching the movie. He didn't tell me what it was, and there was a scene where the shark had sunk a boat, and they were down there diving below in the boat trying to find survivors, not survivors, but look for bodies and all the rest of it. And they were, had, you know, they were down under the water. And inside the boat, there was this, the guy was looking out the portal, the, the round window in this boat, right? And right then and there, this severed head of a human floats down right in front of that portal. And Alex had warned me about this, right? Told me, now, now you're, this is going to get you. And what, is, what happens, I, I thought, well, that's pretty cool. He literally jumped up off the couch again and, and threw his popcorn all over the front of, all of the living room. And I said, for crying out loud, you saw this movie, and you're still scared at, at what happens. And so he was more fun to, to scare. But another, another story is a little more, more serious because it's, a, it's a, maybe a little bigger, a better picture of what it means to use fear in a positive way. My son was like six, and we were at the Oregon coast, and we were camping there, and the Oregon coast has tons of cliffs. Not a whole lot of beaches, but it has lots of high cliffs. And on some of these cliffs, they put lighthouses, of course, to warn ships as they get too close to the coast. <clears throat> so we went to visit this lighthouse, and I remember leaving the trailer, and Eileen didn't go with me. I had four kids taken with me, and she said, now be careful and watch them. Isn't that what they always say, right? Now watch the kids, don't let them do anything dumb. <clears throat> so we went up to the top of this hill, top of this cliff, walked up the steps, visited the, uh, the lighthouse and saw that it was really cool. But around this cliff was about a three and a half, four foot high cyclone fence. So obviously you wouldn't fall over the cliff. The cliff was a good two or 300 feet down to the water. So I, I'm standing over here about, I don't know, 50, 60 away, feet away from my six-year-old son, and I see him literally climbing the cyclone fence. He's halfway up, and I, don't, I have no idea where he thought he was going to go. But I literally, the, the fear that welled up inside of me was so strong, and I guess maybe the adrenaline pump so hard, that I somehow made it that 50 or 60 feet in just a couple seconds and grabbed him and threw him down off of the cyclone fence, all the time, of course, yelling at him, and then picking him up and hugging him. And I had to go back. Of course, Addie was there, and she was just a year younger. She was literally freaking out. But I had to go back to the trailer, and I had to explain to Eileen what had happened. Because <laughs> I knew if I didn't explain it, the kids were going to tell her. <laughs> they said, well, I kind of, you know, took my eye off of him for just a short period of time. And he was climbing over the fence and was, you know, going to fall 300 feet to his death. And so she, I told you to watch him, but that's that kind of fear. That's a very positive reaction to fear. Fear is something that comes with, with being human. God made us that way. He made us in a way to react to certain situations in such a way that it would either preserve our life or it would preserve somebody else's life. And in that instance, that is exactly what happened 
I don't consider myself a really extremely brave person, but when that hits you, you literally do what you have to do in order to save someone that you love. And the same thing would happen, I guarantee you, if someone broke into the house or someone was, you know, pulled a gun or whatever it was that inside your body something happened. And that is a very positive reaction to a rather scary moment. Every one of us has fears, but a good definition to remember is, is something that this kind of natural fear is to be afraid of someone or something that is likely to be dangerous, painful, or threatening. It's something that causes dread, terror, trembling before, or cringing from something. And so it's a very real fear. And there are some words for fear in Scripture that talk about that. But what I, because fear not, you know, don't be afraid, have courage. There's something that comes from the reaction of fear to make us courageous, just in our human sense, right? But there's a, the one I really want to concentrate on today is not natural fear, but godly fear. Okay. There are, like I told you, there are hundreds hundreds of references, and there's a whole bunch of references in the Old Testament about the fear of the Lord. And we live in a culture, I think, you know, where sometimes we get a little bit flippant about our relationship with God. We kind of treat him occasionally as, you know, he's, he's my buddy, you know, he's, I carry him around my pocket like I do, you know, my money, and when I need money, I pull it out and I pay for something. That isn't, that is not a good way to look at God. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord. If God was to appear somehow right here this morning in some manifestation or another, how do you think you would react? I bet you as, as funny and as, as creative as so many of us could be, we would not say, hey, dude, what's up? How's it going, bro? we'd probably all be on the floor so fast to make your head spin because of the absolute reverence that God demands in his presence, right? But he doesn't always manifest himself that way. He doesn't always come in a pillar of fire. He doesn't always come as some, as some dramatic, you know, <clears throat> manifestation before us. But still... There is something about the fear of the Lord that is oftentimes lost. You know, Proverbs 1.7 is a verse that, you know, we can spend a lot of time on. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of knowledge and leading to wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so there's something important that happens in a person's life when they recognize that they truly have the fear of the Lord. And when I, when I say, you know, we've sort of even watered that down in a sense. We say, well, that means we just have this healthy, healthy respect for God, and, and I'm not really afraid of him, and, which is all, we can all support that. That's all true. As a child of his, I don't fear him in that way. But the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of something. And that's what, that is what is so important about the idea of fear it starts something in our life when we truly have the fear of the Lord welling up inside of us. Now, how many of you ever heard of the old preacher? I mean, he's long, long gone. 
But Jonathan Edwards was an 18th century preacher in America. He preached a sermon back in 1741. So we're talking, you know, a couple years ago, 270-some years ago. He preached this sermon in a church in Massachusetts. And I'm not going to read you the whole sermon, but this was a sermon that was based on a simple little verse in Deuteronomy talking about how basically all sinners will eventually slide down, you know, and into where? Into hell. And so it's like he preached a message on hell that is still used today uh, to, to parse it, to examine it, to try to figure out what it was all that he was trying to say. And he literally, according to uh, the story, is that when his sermon was over, everyone in that church was on their face before God, screaming and crying out to him to save them. And I don't know how many... I, I've been a Christian for a little while, and I've never heard a sermon like that ever preached to where I would react that way. But let me just read you uh, just a couple things about it that I think are kind of interesting. This is kind of like right in the middle of his sermon, so you just kind of have to pick up the context where you can. He says, so that, and he writes in Old English, so just try to follow along. It takes a little understanding. But so that thus it is that natural men, <clears throat> and when he says natural men, he talks about unregenerate, non-Christian people, right? When natural, that natural men are held in the hand of God over the pit of hell. They have deserved the fiery pit and are already sentenced to it. God is dreadfully provoked. His anger is as great towards them as those that are actually suffering the executions of the fierceness of his wrath in hell. And they have done nothing in the least to appease or abate that anger. Neither is God in the least bound by any promise to hold them up one moment. The devil's waiting for them. Hell is gaping for them. The flames gather and flash about them and would fain lay hold on them and swallow them up. The fire pent up in their own hearts is struggling to break out, and they have no interest in any mediator. There are no means within reach that they can be, that can be any security to them. In short, they have no refuge, nothing to take hold of. All that, perver all that preserves them every moment is the mere arbitrary will and uncovenanted, unobliged forbearance of an incensed God. You probably are not sensible of this. You find you are kept out of hell, but don't see the hand of God in it. But look at other things as the good state of your bodily constitution, your care of your own life, and the means you use for your own preservation. But indeed, these things are nothing if God should withdraw his hand, they would avail no more to keep you from falling than the thin air to hold up a person that is suspended in it. Your wickedness makes you, as it were, heavy as lead, and to tend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web 
would have to stop a falling rock. Were it not that so is the sovereign pleasure of God, the earth would not bear you one moment, for you are a burden to it. The creation groans with you. The creature is made subject to the bondage of your corruption, not willingly. The sun don't willingly shine upon you to give you light to serve sin and Satan. The earth only or the earth does not willingly yield her increase to satisfy your lusts, nor is it willingly a stage for your wickedness to be acted upon. The air does not willingly serve you for breath to maintain the flame of life in your vitals while you spend your life in the service of God's enemies. That's just a two and a half minute portion of this unbelievable sermon that goes on and on and on. And then, can you imagine trying to make a, at the end of the sermon, as a good pastor would, trying to make application of how to deal with all this, right? And yet he goes into, at the end of his message, he goes into the application of what he's trying to tell them is it doesn't matter how smart you are, it doesn't matter how gifted you are, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how much you have, we are all in the same boat. And without Christ, we are literally dangling over the pit of hell. Now, how many times have we heard a message like that? And yet, when I became a Christian in 1972, that was 1972, not 1872, but I, I read a book by... Hal Lindsey, another guy that I'm not sure he's even still alive. He might be. He wrote a book called Late Great Planet Earth. This was back in the 70s. And it literally scared the hell out of me. And literally, I, I call it the one that actually scared hell out of me. Because I, and it scared me out of hell. Ian and I were saved on the same day. We both committed our life to him at the same time. But it was, what happened when we read that book was that something arose in me. I knew nothing, absolutely nothing about the gospel of Christ. Nothing. Other than what I saw at Christmas time and, you know, Jesus was born and, and all the magi came. It was really cool and a great movie to watch. But I, I had no real understanding of the gospel. And what did God give me that's why I titled this message, The Gift of Fear. What did God give me right before I surrendered my life to him? He gave me an unbelievable fear of God. I realized that he could do whatever he wanted with me. He could erase me. He could make it so I'd, as if I had never lived. He could send me straight to a place I didn't want to go. And it opened my eyes to, surprisingly enough, when, when I recognized the gospel in that, it opened my eyes to his love. To really appreciate God's love or the love of God we need to understand the power of God. Absolutely important. I could, 
read, I'm going to read some verses for you. We could literally, with the, with the term fear of the Lord, we could literally have an entire message where all we did was read, was read, sorry, was read the verses out of the Old Testament and New Testament talking about the fear of the Lord. And you could just read those, and there's many, many, many of them, and you could do that for about 40 minutes, and you'd have an excellent sermon because the word speaks for itself. Let me, let me read just a few of them just to kind of wet your whistle a little bit. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Matthew 10, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Ecclesiastes, the end of the matter is this, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Job said, and he said to man, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Psalm 90, or 33, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Proverbs 14, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. <clears throat> that one may turn away from the snares of death. Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Even in Deuteronomy, the old boring book to read, I'll tell you, this is an amazing verse. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. Isaiah 41, fear not, for I am with you. He Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. The fear of the Lord leads to life in Proverbs 19. Whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Psalm 86, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. It goes on and on. 1 John 4. 1 John is a great place to go if you have a lot of fears and a lot of things that are really bugging you. 1 John 4 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Then the one that we, we quote a lot, it's not the same word, and so it's not the phobos word, it's not a phobia. But in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind, or literally self-control. And that word there is not, is not the Phobos word. It is a word that means timid. He was encouraging, <coughs> excuse me, he was encouraging Timothy to put aside his timidity, to be bold and to not fear those that he was going to be sharing the gospel with, or that were coming against him in the town in which he lived. Be bold. And that's where fear gets cast right, cast right down where it belongs. But the fear of the Lord is where this all starts. If we, and it's like, I, feel, I, I, I just feel with all my heart that we have somehow lost some of that in the feel-good kind of, Everything's wonderful, kind of, you can be rich and have everything you want because you're a Christian and God will answer all your prayers and give you the desires of your heart. All that's true in its, in its, in its truth. It is true. But there is 
something that we lose oftentimes in this unbelievable reverent respect and yes, an awe and even sometimes a fear of the God that we serve. Because he holds in his hand everything that has to do with life and life eternal. I don't want, I don't want to be on the wrong side. But the, the fear of the Lord is not to be a scary, cowering in the corner. It may be if, if you're not a believer and he all of a sudden manifests himself somehow uh, to make you know how real he is, you may very well do that. But as believers, we sometimes need to go on our face before God and recognize that that fear that sometimes wells up in me to go talk to somebody or to do the right thing or to say the right thing, I have to go to him and say, Lord, I need your strength to do this. I don't have the power to do this. Every one of us, I know, and I, I should be talking down there. I don't like standing above people because I'm not, I'm no different than anybody. The fears are always there. The respect that I need for God is always there. The hate for sin that I need to have is always there. Unfortunately, as believers, when you become a Christian, sometimes you wish, after you've been a Christian for a while, sometimes you wish when you made that decision, boom, God took you home. <laughs> that would be really the fun way to do this, right? But he, he doesn't do that. Sometimes he gives us another who knows how long. only gives us a few years. Maybe he gives us decades to live as a Christian. Maybe he gives us just like the thief on the cross, a matter of seconds. It's just, that isn't the point. The point is, what do we do with ourselves once we make that decision? And that is the most important thing that fear can motivate in you and in me, is to do what God wants me to do. <coughs> Hebrews 12.28. There's only two more verses I have. And this one is good. The author writes, Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. I, I, just, I, I think I've read that verse hundreds of times, and I'm not sure I caught the godly fear part on the end. I want to always have that godly fear. This is, that's why, really, when we say a gift of fear, it's really like it's a grace gift of fear. It's like almost receiving a spiritual gift to have the fear of the Lord in our, in our lives. It's a, it's a blessing to have that and to make that expand into all the knowledge and wisdom and understanding that we can amass in the time that we have on this earth. And you know, non-Christians, just to do a little side here, people who aren't Christians can be smart too, right? A lot of them are. Great scientists, great, well, sometimes great politicians, sometimes not, but they... They have the ability, we all as humans have the ability to learn and to, to gather knowledge and to invent things and, you know, create ideas to be used by other people. We all have that ability, but there's something special about when you add the fear of the Lord to, to the beginning or to the idea of knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is something that, you know, I can take in and I can take in and I take in and if it doesn't go anywhere, what good does it do anybody around me if I don't do anything with it? And when I do something with it, then that becomes, over time, 
becomes wisdom, becomes the ability to make wise decisions, the ability to be able to talk to someone and give them wise advice. That comes with everybody. It's a little different when, when you have the ability to do that. But, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that. Without that healthy respect for him, then everything that we know and everything that we say really doesn't mean anything as far as the kingdom is concerned. Our responsibility in the gospel is to not only spread it, <laughs> but to live it. So a good, healthy fear and respect and reverence along with God's love for us, when you put those two things together, that is what keeps us walking <laughs> and talking, living. Without it, we're nothing. It's like a fine-tuned car. When your car doesn't run well, we've all had those issues. It's a bummer. You get from one place to another, but all those parts have to, to mesh to, to, to run correctly in order to take you from one place to another. The exact same thing happens in the Christian life, that balance between a full understanding of how fearful and awesome God is to how loving and caring he is enough to send his own son. That. Always makes me tear up. God takes us out of some pretty crummy situations and puts us on the right track. There's one more verse I want to share with you today. It's, it's a scary verse to me. You read Romans 3. There are those that, golly, Paul lists some of the things that they do and some of the unbelief that they practice and some of the sins that they're involved in and all the rest of it. And it's, it's an awesome passage to read, but it's, it's so convicting. But the last verse in that little diatribe of his is Romans 3.18, where he says that those who are without Christ have no fear of God before their eyes. Again, I don't think I've ever concentrated on that part when I read this unbelievable paragraph that Paul writes. That that's, that's their main problem. They have no fear of God before their eyes. And without that, they'll never totally understand what God did for them. And so it's, to me, it is, it's just beyond understanding. Proverbs 1.7, which says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, would make absolutely no sense to them because they have no, no fear of God that we would, God forbid that we would ever be in the place where we do not have a fear of the Lord. Now I know that Every one of us in this room battle with things, battle with fears, battle with sins, battle with, you know, we, we have not reached the point yet where we can honestly say that we are 100% sanctified and ready to go to heaven because we will never be 100% sanctified. 
in the process we are, but until we go to see him and meet him, we will never be that. So the journey here has, has to be one of taking grace and mercy and putting those two things together. What is grace? Grace is God giving us something that we do not deserve, right? What's mercy? Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. And what do we deserve as sinners? <laughs> Jonathan Edwards was right. We all at one point in our life dangled over the pit of hell and hopefully swung back and got everything right. But grace and mercy put together pass out all that unnecessary fear. There are so many unnecessary fears that you and I experience in our life that, we, that are not from him. They are fears that have no place in our life at all. Fears that come from everything, from finding a job to, to buying a house to getting married, finding that perfect partner, all the rest of it takes <clears throat> a tremendous amount of understanding of what God has for me and has for you. But we all have those things that need to go, you know, and it's, I don't, I, some of those things you may and I may battle for years, things that affect you and, and that made you who you are, made me who I am. I have to deal with those on a constant basis because nobody had a perfect upbringing. Nobody had a perfect uh, family life. No, nobody's had that. There's always something that the enemy would love to tear us down with. And he has... He has absolutely no right to do it. So I would leave you with some, just some application today. Um, don't ever take God for granted. <laughs> He's not a magical toy to be used at our leisure. Get rid of that thought altogether. He's not someone that we use when we need him. <laughs> he uses us when he needs us. He wants to use us. Don't ever take him for granted. We should always fear, and I'm talking about the real fear now, we should always have a dread and terror to ever sin against him. Amen? We should never, we should never take that for granted. We should always fear that we should never sin. Fools despise, Proverbs says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Sometimes we get in a point in our life, don't we, where uh, I've, I've done this over the years, where suddenly I just put kind of a wall around myself. I put a wall around my heart, and I say, nobody's going to get in there. You're not going to get in. I don't care what you say to me. I'm not letting you in. Because of whatever I'm involved in that I know I shouldn't be involved in, I don't want somebody to come and tell me that I shouldn't be involved in that. I'll figure that out on my own. But that's... That's a real dangerous place to be. That's almost, I don't believe a Christian's heart can be hardened, but that's almost where we partially harden it to where we don't let others in. We don't let our mate in. We don't let our friends in. We don't let our family in. We don't let our boss in. We don't let anybody because we have either been hurt too much or we are afraid or whatever it is. But the minute we take the wall down, 
it's like refreshing water flows in because we've made ourselves accountable to somebody. So thank him today. Thank him for his perfect balance between love and obedience. Thanks to him. Thank to him. Thank him for his grace and his mercy. Thank him that I didn't deserve. I know what I did deserve. I didn't deserve his love for me, but he gave it to me. Remember what Paul said to Timothy. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear or timidity. He hasn't made us timid, but he's given one, us one of power and love and a sound mind. His desire is that we be bold and courageous. Don't fear man. If you're going to fear anybody, fear God. Don't fear mankind. Don't fear what they can do to you because they can't do anything to you except try to humiliate you or shut you up. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Maybe you're dealing with your own fears today. We all are. I, 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 I really encourage you to write some of those down. We can pray for those as we close. We can talk about them at, at GCs. We can, we can, I think this sort of a subject opens ourselves up to, we could talk forever and ever about these because we all experience these kinds of fears and dreads in our life. And so I, I want it to be a positive thing for you. Fear is not, don't have the, uh, phobia, the phobophobia thing that we were talking about. Don't be afraid of fear. Fear is a motivator. Fear will motivate you to stay on the right path. Fear will motivate you to say the right thing, will motivate you to do hard work at work. It'll motivate you to, to love your wife and your husband more. It'll motivate you to do all the things that God calls us to do until he decides to either take you home or take us all home at the same time. Until then, we get to, we get to wrestle with all this stuff. Wrestling's good. Talking about them is great. Putting them into practice is even better. So, think about that as we share communion today, even this morning, which we do every morning on Sunday. Just thank him for not just who he is, but give him the healthy reverence and awe that he is really due. Because this picture is beautiful what he did his time. Why don't we stand together and let's close in prayer. I think we'll as we partake in communion today as we always do communion is for a believer because it means so much to a believer to be able to share in the body and blood of Christ to understand what it is he actually did for us in his broken body and his shed blood for us. There'll be two stations here, one on my left or one, yeah, one on my left and my right. There'll be somebody there for you to come if you want some prayer this morning or if you want to just, you know, fellowship with somebody and partake together. Or if you just want to come as a family or individually right here in the middle, you can come and do that as well. We open it to everyone. We don't, you don't have to be a member of this church to do that, but you should be a member of the body of Christ because it means that much more to you. Father, we thank you this morning. sometimes to thank you for uh, what fear can bring. Fear can be kind of crippling sometimes and it can cause us to uh, maybe be so fearful we don't do what we're supposed to do. But that's not the fear that you want us to express to you. You want 
us to be so in awe of you and so in touch with what it is you want us to do and what you've done for us. You want us to be in touch with your grace and with your mercy. You want us to understand what it really means to have been forgiven so that, Lord, this fear that we have, this awesome reverence that we have for you would motivate us to not just learn and get smarter, but we would learn to be wise in practice and in everything that we do that you call us to do. I don't know, Lord. We, we don't, you know the minds of all of us and the hearts of all of us in this room, and I don't pretend to know any of that. But Lord, I pray right now that you would, in a powerful, spirit-led way, that you would let us bow before you in such a way that you would tackle those things that are not fears that come from you, but fears that would debilitate us, that would humiliate us, sins that would, fear that would cause us to do that which we shouldn't do. I ask you to just wipe those out of our minds today and to think about what it really means to be loved and to be nurtured by you. So thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do. We thank you for this day. It's uh, cold outside, but Lord, <laughs> it's sure warm in here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.